again this evening just a couple of odd verses, if I can put it by that, in Isaiah chapter 30. Thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And ye would not. But ye said, No, for we will flee upon horses, therefore shall ye flee. And we will ride upon the swift, therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. And then verse 21. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand, and when ye turn to the left. this evening is 128, number 128, Jesus, the name high over all, in hell or earth or sky, angels and men before it fall, and devils fear and fly, one, two, eight.
Well, let's turn to the Word of God for our reading this evening, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 to 19, 1 to 20. Acts chapter 9, from verse 1 through to verse 20. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house. And putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose, and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with disciples, 
which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. May God bless that part of his word to us as we've read it and as we shall turn to it shortly. Let's take our hymn books again, 393. 393. O thou by whom we come to God, the life, the truth, the way, the path of prayer thyself hast trod, Lord, teach us how to pray. 393.
great privilege of prayer. And let's draw near to the Lord. O oh Lord, how often we have to come into your holy presence as those disciples did when they came to that certain place as their Lord and Master was himself praying. And one said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And Lord, the hymn writer knew something of that. And we would echo those sentiments as we bow our heads in your thrice holy presence this evening. What a tremendous and awesome gift is the gift of prayer. Lord, to know that God sitting on his holy, holy, holy throne receives sinful men and women such as we are as we draw near to him in all his glory, in and through our wonderful mediator, our great intercessor, the Son of God himself. Yes, the second glorious person in the Trinity. O oh Lord, he alone is the way. He alone is the life and the truth. There is no other way to the, to the Father except through him. Lord, we are humbled under the consideration of these things. And then to realize that the Holy Spirit pleads before the eternal throne himself with groanings that cannot be uttered. Lord, it staggers us. It absolutely staggers us, Lord. But we make bold, as another hymn puts it, we come boldly to the throne of grace. Not rashly, not boastfully, but with humble boldness. O oh Lord, receive us as we draw near this evening. Our great desire is that your name would be hallowed amongst us. We've just been reading, O oh Lord, of your servant Paul, or Saul as he was at the outset of our reading, and his arrogance, his pride. But Lord, you cast him down, you humbled him. Lord, perhaps we need to be humbled as we come into your presence this evening. Lord, we too often rush in where even angels fear to tread. Lord, angels cover their faces. We cover ours this evening. And yet, Lord, we lift up our heads because there at your right hand is our Saviour. Oh, hallowed be your name, Father. Hallowed be your name, O Son of God. Hallowed be your name, Holy Spirit. And Lord, our great desire is, it overrides all other petitions that we may utter this evening. Your kingdom come, and your will be done. Lord, if our blessed Saviour had to pray such a prayer, 
not my will, but your will. How much do we need to pray that prayer? Lord, we do not know very often what to ask for in our situations. But you know what we need. You know how you will supply that need. And so trusting in you and in your glorious provision, a provision that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ, for all things are in him. Lord, we boldly come with our petitions. You know the needs of every individual in this congregation, Lord. You know the needs of those who were here this morning and are not this evening. But the most wonderful thing, Lord, is you know my need. We lay it before you, Lord. It is not always right and proper in a public way to name things. And we don't make that an excuse in case we leave someone out. But Lord, you know the need. And it may not, may not be what we perceive to be the need. But you gave Saul what he needed. And he didn't realize he needed it. Supply our need. Whatever that need might be this evening. Supply it personally. You came and had personal dealings with Saul of Tarsus. Lord, have personal dealings with us this evening. From that fullness, meet our situations. Whether it's in our health, whether, O oh Lord, it's to do with our family circles, whether it's, Lord, to do with our work, our daily callings, perhaps, Lord, to do with the church, Lord, whatever it might be, we lay it before you. As your people gathered here tonight, we covet a blessing. We crave, O oh Lord, that you would bless us and favor us as we open your word this evening. Lord, we have the wonderful word of God. We have these precious hymns of praise that, Lord, they express things so much better than we can. Lord, help us to sing with understanding and to sing from our hearts. Jesus is the name that's high over all in heaven and earth and sky. And he is our Lord. He is our Saviour. Oh, we fall at his feet this evening. And pray that he who is the living word, the incarnate word, will speak to us through the written word as we turn to it in a few moments. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will move in our midst Soften any hard heart that is here tonight. You softened Saul's heart. Yes, you can soften the hardest heart in this congregation. And you can bring it to bow before you. O oh Lord, if there's a hard heart, come tonight, Lord. Come tonight and break that heart. And Lord, cause it to fall at your feet. 
Lord, what will you have me to do? Oh Lord, how we would love to hear the cry go up from the congregations in our generation. What must we do to be saved? That we might hear from many that cry going out with the apostle. Lord, what do you want me to do? Oh Lord, speak tonight. Speak powerfully. Speak for your glory. Speak for your name's sake. Speak for the good of this congregation that is gathered to hear the word of God tonight. And Lord, if anyone has come out of a matter of form or duty, Lord, speak to them also that when they next come, it will not be because it's the done thing on the Lord's day, but because they are hungry, because they are thirsty after the things of the Lord. We do pray for the little ones. We thank you for the children that were here this morning. Work in their young lives. Lord, you can speak to the youngest. The dear babe in arms, Lord, you can deal and speak where we cannot speak even to such a one. Lord, you can do these things. You can do the impossible. For you are God Almighty. So, Lord, look upon us and tarry amongst us now and be with those that we love. Perhaps they're not here tonight. Perhaps, O Lord, they have rejected the gospel. They have turned their back on God. Brought up, maybe, to attend a place of worship, but now they see no point. Well, break into their hearts. Break into their lives where they are. It's your work, Lord, because it's got to bring you all the glory. And that's why we ask <coughs> these large requests, these difficult things, these impossibilities, because you are the God of the impossible. Lord, if you could work in our heart and life, you can work in another's, and we pray you will. So bless your word tonight. It may be that someone will be listening online or to a recording later. Lord, they're not here, but you can reach them where they are. Oh Lord, you're so wonderful. You are in every place. And there you are beholding both the evil and the good. Oh, behold just a little good amongst us tonight. And that will only be as the Spirit moves and Christ is exalted. So help us, Lord, as we continue in our worship now for Jesus and Jesus' sake alone. Amen. We'll take a game Jesus calls us for the tumult of our life's wild restless sea. Day by day his sweet voice sounded, saying, Christian, follow me. Seven, seven.
God's Word together this evening, and I have a short text in Acts chapter 9, and really it's the last sentence in verse 5, the last sentence in verse 5, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks or against the goads. Now, years ago, and in many countries, I guess still today, herdsmen use a goad. Very simple, very effective instrument to help them herd and drive their cattle. A simple stick with a pointed end. Or maybe, may have a metal tip to it that's pointed. And pricking, pricking his cattle with a goad. And particularly down here in this part of the world, the drovers, we're familiar with the drovers' roads. They would drive their cattle along the road. And they could effectively keep headstrong cattle from wandering. Would keep them on track with his goad. He would simply press their flank with the pointed end, and the cow or the bullock or whatever would be back on track. And you know, don't we need that sometimes? Don't we need to be kept on track? Well, that's what I want us to think about this evening as we look at this incident in in the life of Saul. You see, these few words bring out a most important lesson for all of us. The more we kick against God, the more we kick against Christ as our Lord, the more we kick against his word, the more painful it is for us, isn't it? I'm sure I'm speaking to folk who will say amen to that. You see, like Saul of Tarsus, like those wandering cattle, being driven to market, sometimes over many, many miles. Our natural tendency, our natural bent, is to stray from the right way, to stray from God's way, to resist God's will, and to seek our own will, and to go our own way. And as with Saul of Tarsus, God will use his goads either to bring us back on track or maybe to keep us on track. So my headings this evening consist of four questions. Four simple, straightforward questions. And the first question is this. Who is Christ speaking to? in this chapter. We know it's the Lord Jesus Christ who is speaking to Saul. We know it is his goad that is being used on Saul. We know that from verse 5 when Saul said, Who are you? Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. It's hard for you to kick against my word and my will. Yes, 
But who is Christ speaking to? He is speaking to Saul of Tarsus, isn't he? I'm sure you all know the story well enough. He's speaking to Saul of Tarsus. But Saul is living a life that is utterly opposed to God. Completely opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 1 and 2 make it clear that if you like, he is the arch persecutor of God's people. His whole being absolutely throbs with hatred towards them. As we read, he breathes out his very life breath. He lives and he breathes threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And thus he's breathing out threats and murder against the Lord himself. And he has the full backing, the complete backing of others who hated the Lord and his disciples. There he is. He goes to the high priest. He can't go much higher in the religious hierarchy than that. And he asks letters. He seeks permission. He seeks authority to go and arrest and persecute the people of God. And and specifically here, he wants to go to Damascus. There is a group of Christians there. And he wants to go and arrest them and bind them and bring them to trial in Jerusalem. That's who Christ is speaking to. Saul was definitely going his own way. He was going in the opposite direction of God's word and God's will. Murray McChain puts it like this. He puts it, I was a stranger, but I'll say Saul. Saul was a stranger to grace and to God. He knew not his danger. He felt not his load. Others were speaking in rapture of Christ on the tree. But it meant absolutely nothing to Saul. It just stimulated and stirred up bitter opposition in his heart and life. Later he said himself, didn't he? In one of those little autobiographical uh, passages in 1 Timothy, I was formerly a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an insolent man. I was a man who lived a life of active opposition. Listen to John. And John sums up the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. Paul was completely the opposite to that. And therefore the love of God was not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, 
He, he's describing Saul of Tarsus, isn't he? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father. It's not of God. It's of the world. Saul was, for all his being a Pharisee, for all his outward religion, was far from religious. He was living in the world. He was of the world. And he had a worldly attitude toward God and his Christ. But like the wandering ox, which needs to feel a good pricking in its flank, so Saul needed to hear. He needed to hear something. He needed to hear what I read at the beginning of our service tonight, a word behind him saying, this is the way. You're in the wrong way, Saul. This is the way. Walk in it. Saul, you have turned to the right hand and to the left. You are thrashing around against me. You need to hear a word behind you, calling you back into the right way. Now before I go on, am I describing someone here? You all look pretty respectable to me, but so did Saul. Are you struggling to have your way? Are you resisting God's way and will? You're trying to assert your mind and your will over God's will? Saul knew the prophets. He was a Pharisee. He knew the law backwards. But he's refusing to listen to God's word. Whether the written Old Testament, which is what he would have had then. But he was certainly resisting the incarnate word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he needed to hear he needed to be pricked with the goad of God's word. Perhaps you need to. I leave that between you and the Lord. So in the second place, how does Christ speak to us? How did Christ speak to Paul or to Saul? He speaks with words that prick like a goad. And as he does so, will you notice that he spoke and addressed Paul personally? Note the personal pronouns. They're singular. Why are you persecuting me? And so it goes through. A light shone around Saul from heaven. When you read it carefully, in verse 3, suddenly a light shone around him. It's personal. So we could be in a gathering like this. And the Lord could be using his word like a goad on an individual. Don't look any different. 
but the light shines perhaps around you tonight. And when that light shone around him from heaven, you see, the sovereignty of God. Who fell to the ground? He did. Saul fell to the ground. And who heard the voice? Who felt the pricking? He heard a voice saying to him. And just to make sure he realized it was to him, he was named Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And how did a startled and alarmed Saul respond? Was it not personally? <coughs> he said, who are you, Lord? And the risen Lord then personally identified himself. And how that must have, well, that would have been a stab with the goad, wouldn't it? I am Jesus, whom you, Saul, are persecuting. How personal is God's dealing with Saul? And that's what we've all got to experience. God's personal dealing with us. Is Jesus, is God speaking to you and I today in this way? You see, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks. How does he speak? Personally. He speaks through providence and circumstances. And by those words, I simply mean this. The events that take place in our life. That's something that the psalmist observed, didn't he? In Psalm 107. That lovely psalm that picks up all sorts of different situations in life. Stormy experiences, desert experiences, dangerous experiences and so on. You go through Psalm 107 and how does it conclude? Whoever is wise. A wise person observes God's providence. And when they observe God's providence, like Saul they will begin to understand the loving kindness of the Lord, even in those difficult, contrary situations. And it brings them to cry out to the Lord in their trouble. Not to fight against him, but to cry out to him. And he delivers them out of their distresses. What was happening here in Acts chapter 9? God suddenly intervened in what had so far been a prosperous sort of journey, hadn't it? Saul had traveled all the way to Damascus and no incidents on the way. He'd been taken care of. He'd no doubt eaten well on the way. He'd got his uh, sort of friends around him. It had all been going so fine. He'd got the permission. He'd got what he wanted. 
until this blinding light shone around him, not the others. And he fell to the ground. God used the situation in his life so that he fell to the ground in the presence of the risen Savior. And as he lay there, it spoke to him. The light shone. That's a providential work of God, that something shone around him, struck him with blindness and so on. That happened to Saul physically. That was in his life walk. And in that life walk, at that precise moment, the Lord pricked him with the goad of his word. He spoke to him. And what did he say? What was the word? In verses 4 and 5, providence has conspired together. He's laying on the prostrate on the, in the dust of the road outside the gate of Damascus and he hears a voice and a voice speaks words he heard words Saul Saul why are you persecuting me and in this briefest of conversations the Lord challenged Saul are you challenged by God's word? You know you're not walking as you should be before God. And the challenge comes. It's like a goad. What do we talk about? A pricking conscience? That's a common enough expression, isn't it? God's word comes and our conscience is pricked. Is your conscience pricked tonight? Are you challenged? Saul, Saul, why are you going against me? Why are you going against my gospel? Why are you seeking your own way? And the Lord identified himself. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I am speaking to you, the one you're going against. The drover. He's got his cattle on the way to market. And he doesn't use his goad on all of them. He uses his goad on the one that gets out of the way. And it's that one that feels it. And the more he goes out of the way, the more he feels the pricking. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You think you're persecuting my people. You think you're all right, Saul. But you're not. You're going against me. And then he warned Saul. This very brief interchange in just two verses. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Saul, stop kicking. Saul, get right. 
That's what the Lord was doing. And if you're a Christian here tonight, that's what he did with you, wasn't it? It's what he did with me. And if tonight you look like a Christian and you're not a Christian, is the Lord pricking you? We do well to heed. If we don't heed him, we'll feel it the world. What do we do with the disobedient child? We chastise it. Don't do it again. How many times have we said that to the children? Don't do it again. We've chastened them. We've disciplined them. We turn our back. There they are. I was a boy. And I got it again. I got the goad again. Until I knuckled under. And we're all like that. Let's just pick up. That's how, how the Lord speaks to us. He addresses us personally. That's one element of the way he speaks. He does it through providence and circumstances. When life is going all wrong as we feel it, is the Lord saying to you, you're going down the wrong alley. You're going down a blind alley that's taking you to destruction. Turn round. And he'll use his word. Yes, creation and providence speak powerfully to us. I thought of Psalm 148. Well, and 147. uh, It's a pair of psalms, wonderful psalms. But Psalm 148 is where creation declares the glory of its creator. I'll leave you to read the psalm when you get home. It speaks in verse 5 of the Lord and his sovereignty. In verse 5, he commanded and they were created. Verse 6 speaks of his eternity. He established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Verses 7 to 12 speak of his glory. Speaks, creation speaks of God's sovereignty, his eternity and his glory. And our response should be in verses 1 to 4. They're wonderful verses in Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his hosts. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you stars of light. Praise him you heavens of heavens. Praise him you waters above the heavens. And the very last phrase, praise the Lord. When you and I look out at creation, that should be our response. Francis Havergal, all things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. And what has he given you? What has he given me? Eyes to see them, lips to talk about them, to say how great is God Almighty who has made all things well. 
I've hinted at Psalm 107. He speaks through providence in the sovereignty over his sovereignty over the affairs of men. But Psalm 147 also tells of the Creator's provision in verses 7 and 9. Speaks of his control over the weather. And what should that do? Surely that should bring forth from us praise to his name. Psalm 147, praise the Lord, for it's good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. He gives to the beast its food, to the young ravens that cry, and so on. And how does that psalm end, having spoken about creation? Praise the Lord. Oh friend, we should be moved to worship and praise. Great providence of heaven. What wonders shine in its profound display of God's design. It guards the dust of earth, commands the hosts above, fulfills the mighty plan of his great love. Read those two psalms and see it there. The kingdoms of this world lie in its hand. See how they rise and how they fall at his command. Sorrow and distress, tempestuous storms that rage. God's kingdom yet endures from age to age. The winding paths will one day end. And the tale of wonder will be told within the veil. Oh, creation and providence should be a goad to us. To focus on the creator. And God's word speaks so powerfully to us. Whenever it is faithfully read, whenever it is preached, whenever it is taught, it has an effect on us. What was the effect on Saul of Tarsus? A light shone all around him. And God's word is still a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The word is God's revelation of himself, his revelation of his will. His revelation of his work. And it becomes us to give good heed to it. God uses his word as a goad. Do you pay attention to his word? Or do you seek to go on in your own sweet way? Which is not sweet at all. Because it's a way that leads to destruction. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the ways of death. So together, creation, providence and God's word shine like a light on us, a light on our life, a light on our attitudes, so much so that God uses them like a goad. It's hard to kick against the goads. Third question, what is Christ saying to you? Saul was surrounded by others, but God was speaking to him. God is speaking, I trust, to us all tonight. But is he speaking to you individually? I pray he will be. What was he saying to Saul of Tarsus? 
I think he was, in effect, using a couple of proverbs. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, Saul. But he who heeds my counsel is wise. Saul, listen to me. Is God saying that to you tonight? I just just mentioned Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man. You say, Saul, you're go- you think you're doing the right thing, but you're not. And having been stopped in his tracks, Saul heard a word behind him saying, this is the way, not your way, Saul, but my way. Now walk in it. The goad is being applied. What was God calling him to do? He was calling Saul to repent, wasn't he? Saul, leave your old way and walk in a new way, the right way. Leave your old path of rejection and rebellion That's the essence of repentance. Instead of refusing to believe who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in his life, his death and his resurrection, turn round, Saul. That same Jesus is speaking to you now. Pay attention to him. It's a call to repentance. And Saul You're being called to believe. From now on, Saul, you've got to put your trust in me and not yourself. You've not got to look at what you are doing, but at what I have done. You've not got to look at your works and your ideology, but at mine. Isn't that the essence of faith? If the essence of repentance is turn round and come back into the right way, to believe and to exercise faith is to walk in that way. Instead of following his own will and desires, the Lord is saying to Saul of Tarsus, follow me. That's what the drover's doing back into the right road. And is God saying that to you tonight? Like Saul, you must change direction and you must put your, you must walk with the Lord. How? How do you walk with the Lord? When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. Saul, go into the city and you'll be told what to do. Get in the right path, Saul. Start following me, doing what I say, and all will be revealed. Saul must change direction. He must come under the authority of the risen Lord, not the rejecting world. And isn't that what the Lord calls all of us to do? Listen to his own words. As he comes into Galilee, in Mark chapter 1, we read the first message of the Lord. What is he doing? 
He is preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Yes, that's what he's doing. But what is he saying? The time is fulfilled. The time is now. And the kingdom of God is at hand. And what does Jesus say? Exactly what he said to Saul. Repent. Believe the gospel. And then as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew. And he turns to them and he speaks to them and he says, And you follow me. And I will, you will become fishers of men. And they did so. So finally, what is your response to what God is saying to you tonight? As God's word comes, his call comes to you like a pricking goad and confronts you through your providential circumstances, through his word. I leave that. You, you know how he's speaking to you tonight. But I'll tell you what he is doing. If you are being pricked by these things, he is calling you to do what he called Saul to do. To turn from your own will and way, to do his will and walk in his way. Is that what you're doing? Stop trying to order your own life in your own way for your own pleasure. Your circumstances and God's word are perhaps shouting a warning to you that your life is leading to disaster and eternal ruin. And thus they call you to repent of that sinful life and lifestyle, of rebellion and rejection of Christ as your Lord and Savior. In other words, renounce yourself, renounce your sin, and renounce your old way of life. And believe in Christ alone. Alone. As your saviour. Put it another way. He's saying to you. Entrust your salvation to him alone. By relying on who he is. By relying on what he has done. By trusting in him alone. That Christ shall be all in all. And then he's calling you to openly follow him as the Lord of your life. To openly confess him as Lord and Savior. To show by your life that you are dead to sin and alive in him. And how did our reading end? Paul preached Christ. He witnessed for Christ. He openly confessed him. That's what Saul did. Listen to what he says. Just four words. Listen to what he says. Who are you, Lord? Have you acknowledged God? Have you said to him, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm laying down my life. What do you want me to do? Observe how he obeyed. What did he do? Go into the city. And he went into the city. And what do we find him doing in the city? Behold, he's praying. 
I don't know what he was praying for, but I can imagine what he might have been praying for. Where do I go from here, Lord? What happens next? And watch. Watch Saul as he confessed his Lord and Saviour. What did he do in verse 18? Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He received his sight at once. And what did he do? He arose and was baptized. He openly confessed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Saviour. And now, in verse 19, he identified with the Lord's disciples. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples. The ones he'd come to arrest and cart away to prison, he associated with them. How close is your association with your brothers and sisters in Christ? How about you? I leave you with that question. How about you? Let's just pray. Lord, your word comes home to us with power. Lord, it comes home with divine authority. Oh, protect and preserve us from kicking against the goats. But rather, Lord, to hear and to heed that voice behind us as it bids us turn round and walk in your way, to walk with Jesus along life's narrow road and to walk with him until we reach the glory. Because Saul, later Paul, would one day say, I am now ready to be offered. Lord, are we ready? Oh, make us ready. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And our closing hymn is number 777. Jesus, and shall it ever be a mortal man ashamed of thee? Ashamed of thee whom angels praise? whose glories shine through endless days, seven, seven, seven.